Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Uh, Confidence is a funny thing, Uh, We've just been treated uh, over the last couple of months to the incredible achievements of many athletes from all over the world uh, for the Tokyo Olympics and the Paralympics. And one of the things that you may have noticed as the elite sports people were interviewed is that they wanted to tell us over and over again that a big part of their formula for winning and competing is having confidence in their ability to perform under pressure, to perform when it matters most. Uh, Any motivational speaker worth their salt is going to tell you that you need confidence if you're going to succeed. But confidence can be a dangerous thing too. Uh, We've just seen... Oh, there's the slide that went with the previous bit. Uh, We've just seen one of our uh, TV singing talent shows fire up again. Uh, The Voice is on television at the moment. And it seems, I think, 
it may be the last one standing. Uh, I think all the others have sort of fallen by the wayside or I'm not sure what the industry term is, but they've all been put on ice. Uh, but my favourite part of these singing shows isn't the grand finale where they crown the winner. It's those first few weeks where they show you all of the auditions. Uh, it becomes clear as you watch this show, or some of these shows anyway, that there are people who seem to have a rather misplaced confidence in their own ability. It seems that their family and friends haven't done them any favours, they haven't been as honest with them as perhaps they should have been about their talent. Uh, there seem some singers that are genuinely shocked and disbelieving when the judges inform them that they simply haven't got it. Sadly, they have a, an unfounded and misplaced confidence in their own ability. Today we are thinking about the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. Uh, and my hope is that after today we come away with a renewed confidence in living for God. A confidence that's not misplaced, but in fact well-founded. Because it's, it's a confidence that rests not in ourselves and in our own ability, but in God and his promises and the power of his spirit to do his work in our lives. Now, I've got a, a small confession to make, uh, which is that I had to get a little bit creative in trying to link the statement that we find in the Apostles' Creed with the topic that we're talking about today. Because uh, the line uh, that we have in the Creed is this one, that I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Uh, now, I would have thought that the forgiveness of sins was kind of more Jesus's department than that of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so why are we talking about the Holy Spirit? Well, let me pitch it to you this way. God has sent his spirit into the world to make the forgiveness that Jesus won for us a reality in our lives. But to help us see our need for it, to enable us to grasp hold of it in faith, and then to empower us to live new lives that flow out of the forgiveness that he's won for us. So we're going to be thinking about the Spirit's work around uh, these three ideas this morning. We're going to be thinking about it around the idea of new hearts, a new identity, and new living. My hope is that we'll see as God's children, uh, we can and we should be living with a kind of quiet confidence. A confidence that we can now live in a way that honours Jesus, in a way that pleases God. It's a confidence not only in what Jesus has accomplished for us, not only in the future that God has promised us, but also in what we can expect God to be doing in each of our lives, even now, through the work of his spirit. So to begin with, they're thinking about the idea of new hearts, when Jesus has his run-ins with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day, uh, often the run-ins are around their religious traditions. Uh, and as he was talking to them, particularly about a criticism they were making of him and the, the ceremonial washing of hands and certain foods, uh, Jesus taught a rather profound truth about the human condition. We find it uh, in a couple of places, but uh, the reference I've got is from Mark chapter 7. And here Jesus says, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, 
out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus here is saying that our problem is fundamentally one of the heart. That is where sin resides. And it's not something that can be fixed from the outside. The problem that the Pharisees had, and I think the problem with all religious solutions to this human condition, is that they're working in the wrong direction. They're working from the outside in. When Jesus says what we need is a radical transformation from within. It's the same problem, really, that's always plagued God's people who'd lived under the old covenant. The Israelites were never able to keep the law that God had given them faithfully because their hearts were hard. And so we find this expectation building up in the promises that we find in the Old Testament that God will one day come and do something about this. And so one example is a a promise that we find in the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, we read this promise from God. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your hard stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The old covenant didn't work because the people had hearts of stone. They couldn't keep the law of God. And so God promises here that he's one day going to fix this problem. He's going to create a new arrangement, a new reality, a new covenant where he will give his people new hearts so they can serve him faithfully. And the way God says he's going to do this is through the outpouring of his spirit into people's lives. A few weeks ago, we talked about the work that Jesus did through his death and his resurrection. We saw how God's plan of salvation culminates in those events as Jesus conquers sin and death, as he ascends to this place of authority as king over an everlasting kingdom. And at one level, we could talk about how Jesus' work is complete, that there's nothing more to add to it. But of course, in another sense, Jesus was just getting started. His death and his resurrection usher in a new age. It's the age that God promised his people that Ezekiel's talking about, this time when God is going to do something new in the hearts and the lives of people. It's a situation that the Apostle Paul addresses in his letters to the Galatians and the Romans. Paul describes this new time this way. In Romans chapter 7, verse 6, we read, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. In verse 1 of chapter 8, he goes on and says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is all describing what we sometimes call regeneration. This new birth that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about. If we are to live faithfully as God's children, we need a heart transformation. We need God to remove our hearts of stone. And give us a heart of flesh, a heart which is soft, a heart that's able to respond to him, that yields to him, 
that delights in him, that is alive to him. And so when Jesus comes, he sets us free from sin and death. As Paul says here, he sets us free from the law itself, but he sets us free to a new relationship with him, which he describes here as this law of the spirit. See, God's plan for us was not only to deal with our sin through Jesus, but always then to send his spirit to transform hearts, to make us alive to God and to empower us to live for him. And so just as he promised, that's what he does. Jesus sent his spirit that all those who respond to him in faith have their hearts renewed. But more than that, more than that, the spirit's presence now assures us of who we are in Christ. He speaks to us of our new identity as children of God. The one that reading from Romans 8, find these words. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The spirit of God opens up this new relationship with God for us. And so we come to know him in this incredibly intimate way, that word that their Abba is that intimate term of affection that a child has their father, much like how we might say daddy today. And that kind of relationship that God wants for us, that's the kind of relationship he opens up for us through the gift of his spirit. Because the spirit assures us of who we now are in Christ, of our new identity, that we are his children. Yes, forgiven, made right with God, Deeply loved children. It's what Jesus promised us and what he spoke about. And on the night before he departed, he said to his disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Jesus is talking here about the Spirit of the Son, the one who makes us one with Christ, the one who enables us to know God as our Heavenly Father, just as Jesus could relate to his father. And it's this new identity that we have as God's children that enables us to relate to God freely, as he always intended we could and would. As Jesus said of himself, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Our God is a God who brings freedom. He wants to release us from our bondage to anything that has power over us, be it sin or death or even our fears. It's his spirit within us that makes us alive to the reality that we are now his loved children. And so when you come to trust in Jesus, God gives you this new identity. You are a child of his. And it's his spirit 
assures us of who we now are. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's what it says in Romans 8. This is who God has made us in Jesus. And nothing and no one can take that away from us. And so this is where true freedom and true life is found. It starts with knowing God, knowing that we are loved by him, that we are his. And it's then from this place of freedom, this great place of security, that God calls upon us to live differently, calls upon us to live transformed lives and enables us to do that very thing. Because we do it now, not as people who are trying to earn God's approval or curry God's favour or pay off a debt. We do it as his loved, forgiven, free children. Which is not to say that this life is not still a struggle, but it's a struggle that we can engage in and it's a struggle we can make progress with. And so that's the final thing I want to talk about and think about this morning, which is the idea of new living. So we've seen new hearts, we've seen a new identity, and there's a new life that God calls us to as well. The Bible teaches us to expect an ongoing battle, uh, that sin will still be a, a reality in our lives, even though we now belong to Jesus. But it also tells us that something fundamental has changed. That for us, our struggle against sin is no longer futile. And the Spirit makes all the difference. He explains this in verses 5 and 6 of Romans chapter 8. How having the Spirit of God sets us free from our bondage to the sinful nature. So in Romans 8, we read these words. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Here Paul gives us a picture of our new hearts at work, just as God promised. This is the new life we are called to, where we kind of die and rise again to live a new life under the power of the spirit of God. And this verse even acknowledges that there is a battle that exists in the heart and in the lives of every believer between the spirit and the flesh, or what's sometimes called our earthly natures. When God gives us his spirit, we are given a new life, but our old selves, that the flesh, our sinful natures, are still present. But the difference here, as it's explained to us, is that we are no longer slaves to our sinful desires. We are no longer slaves to our flesh, but in fact we're slaves to God. See, the the assumption that sits behind all of this is that if you have the Spirit of God's Son, it is going to show up in your life. It is going to make a change. Your life will not be the same. 
There's a wonderful passage in the book of Galatians. Uh, We've been looking at it in Kids Club this term, uh, going through that with the kids online, as we've been able to. Uh, But it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, what we can expect the Spirit of God to produce in our lives. Uh, And these are well-known verses. You might even have them memorized. But it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God, these are the sorts of things that are going to show up in your life, that are going to characterise your life. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. None of this is saying that you will not continue to sin, but it is saying that you aren't ruled by sin anymore. You are not a slave to its power and its influence because you're now ruled by the spirit of God that lives in you. So there is an ongoing process, an ongoing struggle. We all know the frustration, don't we, of lingering and persistent sins in our lives. And we can feel at times defeated and deflated. It can cause us to despair, to doubt. But the encouragement of these verses, and others like that, we'll read another in a minute, is that there is a, a struggle here that we can make progress in because God has given us new hearts. God has given us his spirit. He's declared us to be his children. And so Colossians describes the struggle this way. It says, oh, we've lost half of it. I'll read verses 5 to 7 for you. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in this way in the life you once lived. Now it's eight. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. God is doing work in each of us. He is renewing us, as it says there in verse 10, renewing us in the image of our creator. God is making us more like him. He's making us more like his son. And his spirit is engaged in that very work in our hearts and in our lives. When we put our trust in Jesus, we start a new kind of life. It's more than a a sea change or a fresh start. I mean, it is that too, but something much more profound happens. This is a supernatural change that God works within us through the transforming power of his love and his grace that he applies to our hearts through his own spirit. And so the call here is not to return to our old ways, to the life we once lived, to those things that grieved and offended God. 
the appeal here is to get rid of all of those things that belong to the old self and to put on the new, to keep in step with the spirit, as it says here. As we do that, we will continue to see the fruit of the spirit more and more in our own lives. So let me encourage you to remember all that God has given you and given you his spirit. Let me encourage you to live this life then with a quiet confidence. The confidence that comes from knowing that the spirit of God is within you. God has given you a new heart. He has given you a new identity. And he's given you a new life to live.